Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. We've got Brian Lutz with us today, as well as Tom Rutledge. How are you guys doing this weekend? I'm doing good. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been, it's been a minute since I got to make a little guest star appearance. So thanks for That's having right. me. That's right. And you are you are a star, Brian. <laughs> well, you know, I don't have I, I don't have a problem with uh, the mission Brian. statement for today or as oh. uh, <laughs> as suggested Sorry. by Alan. <laughs> and then we were uh, we were chopping it up on text uh, earlier. But um, returning to emotional sobriety with a new week and a new set of life experiences and redefining it or like, you know, uh, reconsidering how we define it um, this particular Sunday. So I thought I would start with Brian um, and. We can get to talking about yeah um, where emotional sobriety ha has or hasn't shown up for us at uh you know what may be a challenging part in our lives. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking with a client last week, and it's someone who is a regular at our Thursday night meeting and has been you know been working with them for a while, and they're pretty plugged in. And he was saying, yeah, I was talking to this new friend about the meeting and emotional sobriety, and he asked me what is emotional sobriety. And he's like, I tried to answer him and I realized I couldn't do it. <laughs> so then I, I started thinking about it and I was like, well, how, if, if somebody asked me that question, how would I define it? And it's kind of funny because I've spent a while thinking about this stuff and working on it. And it's, it's a surprisingly difficult question to answer. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and, I, and I was kind of caught off guard by that, but I started, I don't know. And, and I guess my understanding is always changing, but uh, I think it's because it's so multidimensional and yeah. situation and context specific. There's a lot of different parts to it. Emotional sobriety is being a good human. <laughs> it's like it's being the best, Sometimes. you know, the best we, the best we can be. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and, and honest. Well, a good human, including the fact that that show showing up, even if if you're you know a mess, and even if you're having problems or, or uh, you're you're fighting everything, uh, resisting everything coming up, just being honest about all of that, the big picture, and you know that well, that I get that so much from Roger, you, and about how you talk about it, right? Where right. if you're having a, a, a part of you come up that's not the best part of you instead of just giving it complete you know autonomy and, mm -hmm. and controlling your actions and, and everything that you do and lashing out at people being mean mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. using whatever it is you can talk about it in a way that that gives it the right to exist and to, to acknowledge the, the the truth of it without giving it the privilege of deciding how you're going to show up in your life that's it well i mean the bottom line is that you're describing a character in the the intrapersonal landscape that I that I that I call the gatekeeper, and it's like, and it's and the gatekeeper. I've I've, I've long d been aware of the gatekeeper that, that basically does what you're talking about, filtering how what goes at what gets out, you know. And as you guys can imagine, because you've known me a while, uh, my gatekeeper is very busy all the time, you know, because first of all, there's so many parts of me that think something is funny when it's not going to be to the person I'm getting ready to say to it. You know, it's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Not that. Okay. We'll let that go. Uh, but I also realized more recently, as we consider the emotional sobriety is the gatekeeper also makes decisions about what we do with the thoughts that show up in our mind there. So it's on both sides. It's what, it's what I'm going to, what I'm going to to first it's what I'm going to allow in and entertain, you know, say, Hey, pull up a chair as far as the thoughts that come. And, you know, I had a daily reading in one of my meditations today that basically says when these, when these thoughts show up, you know, you, you don't have to invite them in, you know, you don't have to, what he said was, you don't have to, you don't have to ask them to stay for dinner. You know, it's like, 
<laughs> so I, yeah, you know, I just, I began thinking about that too. This idea of like, if, so if somebody comes to my house unexpectedly, I hate drop-ins, you know, the drop, drop-ins no good, but if somebody comes in and, and, you know, good intentions, whatever it's, it's like, and I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stand on the front porch and talk to them. I'm never going to say, come on in. Or if they, if they weasel their way into my front door, I'm still not going to sit down. It's like, you know, we're, I'm just basically taking my energy, reserving it, holding it and going off to something else and that's what we need to be able to do with with these thoughts and unfortunately we don't know that we need to and then how to differentiate ourselves from our thoughts i think the part that's tricky too is that there are things and experiences and occurrences that can't be left out right they're going to force their way to the dinner table and you know when right. i was thinking about what we what what i wanted to bring in today uh, an example that that came up for me recently it was um, it's actually it was what I was talking about a couple month or two ago at the Thursday night meeting, which is there was something that was going on in my life that was, uh, I don't know, one of the most yeah, anxious, most terrified I've ever been. It was really, it was really difficult, and, and you know, it's, it's it was this situation. No, I'll go into detail because it's I think it's important just to understand mm -hmm. it. But um, Flora, my wife, she's pregnant. We just um, crossed the second we got past the first half so mm -hmm. along she's starting to show it's really cute um but you know we earlier on before we had went public with uh letting everybody know she was pregnant and everything um you know we we got these genetic test results they they test um they do it every once in a while they test for like 400 different things which I didn't even realize there were so many things you could test for, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, Flora got her results back and there were two, there, there were three for her actually. One of them was expected. She's got a, a blood condition that uh, we knew about, but two showed up that we didn't know about. And one of them in particular, and it had such a complicated name. I can't remember it and I've mm -hmm. never even heard of it, but essentially the, you know, the implication was that if, uh, if I was also a carrier, because uh, there's dominant recessive genes and all that mm -hmm. stuff, if I was also a carrier, there would be a 25% chance that our baby would develop this uh, genetic condition that would basically make her unable to process and digest food. And so it's like an intestinal wow. problem. Wow. And so, um, you know, the, the cognitive functioning of the baby would be very low. It would have to be fed uh, intravenously, couldn't, couldn't eat food or milk or anything like that on its own. Mm -hmm. and, life expectancy is less than five years, no matter what you do. Wow. And so, you know, we got these test results at 10 o'clock at night on like a, was a Friday or a Saturday or something like that. And we read it and, and uh, my first reaction was, uh, I'm just going to walk away and close this because I, I can't think about this and I don't have anybody to talk to her getting any information about it and flora had a very different reaction she's in i mean i need to read about this i need to learn about this i need to think about it and i i i don't know if i've ever had such a strong desire to not think about something um, no so i know the feeling of running toward ignorance i mean get me yeah get me out of here as stupid as possible right now <laughs> which is essentially what, what drinking and using drugs is right as i well would, yeah I we're trying well, you're trying brain down you're, you know, you're trying to roll back time but you know just you know you know, the longing, I always call it the longing for ignorance, you know, it's like, God, I, you know, the, the moment, just a moment ago, I, I, I didn't know this even existed. Basically at that point, what that meant is I had to go get a blood test, a genetic test. 
And I don't know, it's, I, I, and it's a miracle of science that we can even test this stuff. But no at kidding. the time, I'm like, you assholes, it takes like two weeks to get the results. Jesus. And so, you know, we had to go through the weekend or whatever day that was, it doesn't really matter. And, and go, I had to go get a blood test. And then we just had to sit and wait. And there was, mm -hmm. there's nothing that could be done to make it faster or better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had shared it with a couple people on each side, like our parents, basically, that that uh, Flora was pregnant. And, mm -hmm. you know, we had just we were planning on revealing this, uh, having a party and telling everybody. And because we were right at the end of the first trimester when all this was happening. And we said, let's wait, because this is, mm -hmm. you know, we go and have a party and then this is happening. First of all, it's, we're not going to have a lot of fun because there's you don't want to walk into a party with that, you know, on your heart. That's right. Well, no, it would just it would just be so incongruent and weird. So we canceled this party. A bunch of people were invited. And then, you know, now we're waiting and we're talking about this. And what does this mean? And what are we going to do? And, um. You know, I started, my, I noticed my first reaction is I was really excited about this baby. And then as soon as this all started happening, I, I pulled away mm -hmm. and I, I tried as hard as I could to not be excited and to not um, get too attached because I was like, you're I, trying, I was going to say, you're trying to detach, you know, we, we villainize our defense system too much, too much in this business. And it's like, you know, basically we just understand the defense system is doing its job. It's trying to protect you. And it's just trying, it's trying to, it's trying to detach. It's trying to, it's trying to get you disconnected from that as much as possible. And, and I, you're not cooperating because you don't use and you don't drink and use anymore. Well, but see, there's a place for it, right? See, I think if I'm in a situation where I'm getting frantic and, and just out of my mm -hmm. mind and so terrified right. that I can't function, you know, detaching for a period of time is absolutely good yeah. I think the danger is, is you stay that way. Right. Right. And, Right. They never come back. And so, well, and that's, and that's where, if we're talking about emotional sobriety, the emotional sobriety is acceptance of all of that, including what's, how are you doing? I'm, I'm detaching from this. It's like, instead of this, because we we're so in recovery stuff, this is one of the downsides of recovery. We, we tend to, because we grew up in this culture, we tend to, to think, especially toward ourselves in judgmental terms. No. And, and my, my first sponsor used to say, every symptom has its application. And that applies to what you're saying right there going like, no, no, this is, this is a perfectly good thing. This is how I get through my day. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to get something other than just sitting there fretting all day long, 24 seven, you're going to need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I got to function and work and, mm -hmm. and live and all that stuff. But, mm -hmm. you know, I liked what you said about acknowledging it and making space for it. Cause like the first mm -hmm. reaction is kind of, it's, you know, I don't know, I guess maybe, there's a part of me where that's not that's not what I'm supposed to do, or that's mm. that's a weird reaction, detaching. But uh, I, I think Alan, he he was the first one to say it to me, and it's such a cool idea. The first time I heard it, he said, "Be careful about pretending mm. that you're better than you are." Yeah, that's good, right? Because you start pretending that you're better than you are. I don't have these bad reactions, or 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 you know maladaptive responses, or whatever you want to call it. It's like mm -hmm. no, I got these dark sides. Well. I do yeah, and, and we can add to that the thing that I think Alan often, yeah, as we're talking about that stuff too, is the idea that you know, be careful that you're not, you're not, you're not thinking you should be more than you are. It's yeah. like because see, this is one of this is one of the beautiful things that I get as much from from anything as Roger Andy's on our Thursday night thing. It's just from from his all his work and his work with Nathaniel Brandon is the the full acceptance of everything. Is I mean, if, if 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 that's if we're given definitions today, various definitions for emotional sobriety, that's one of my favorites. It's like the idea is 
this is what's happening in my life. I'd led the Thursday night uh, group and just began. I didn't want to go because my wife had just had surgery and uh, back surgery and was just home. And, and we were both feeling horrible and, and I was freaking out. And, and so, but I just decided emotional sobriety is me showing up, uh, just wigged out. And, and so that's what I did. I, I said, I, I came on and just said, I am a basket case. You know, I wasn't lying. I wasn't exaggerating. I wasn't playing. A, a, I wasn't playing a, a basket case, you know, on, on, uh, online. I was, you know, and, you know, I think I did an okay job of kind of getting this thing started off in the support thing and it helped me tremendously just, just to talk about it and practice doing what we're talking about here is not judging myself as I was saying it. Yeah, you know, and no, that's accept, what, acceptance of everything. But then, as a starting point, right for change, and mm -hmm. you weren't stuffing anything to be able to mm -hmm. show up and do what you had to do. You were letting it be part of the mix, and you were giving voice to it. Yeah, and then I think you know the. I, I think Tom, you were the one who said it. I had never heard it described that way either. Which is, it's like navigation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you're going to navigate somewhere. You actually do have to have two points, which is the start and the end. Right, those are the, the two mandatory points that you need. Right, right. and so often we know where we want to go, but we don't. We won't. We won't accept where we are. And that's it's the like... value of making space for being a basket case. Is okay. This is where I am, and and you know I'd like to go over here. So for me, with my thing, I'm detached. I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm terrified. I'm pissed. Because mm -hmm. um, why the hell wasn't this tested for sooner? Why are they making me wait? Why did they? Test us both at the same time, you bunch of jerks, making me mm -hmm. suffer and wait here, all mm -hmm. these different things. And so, you know, I'm mad, I'm I'm detached, I'm this, I'm that, I'm everything. But, you know, ultimately I I I was trying to figure out what the hell do I do with this? You know, what 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 how do I take these principles of emotional sobriety and apply it to a situation with this kind of gravity? You know, we're talking mm -hmm. about really like. The difference between having a baby with a health, you know, healthy baby, it's going to live a full life, hopefully longer than me, mm -hmm. um, to, you know, it's going to be sort of partially conscious and live for a couple of years and then, and then die if we decide to have it. So now, mm -hmm. you know, are we going to abort the pregnancy or, you know, are we going to do this? So my mind's running all these different places and I'm like, wow, this is, I mean, I'm devastated. Yeah. you know, at these possibilities, even though they're not happening. So I, you know, I knew I, I couldn't get too far ahead of myself, even though I did, but I'd bring myself. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's again, acceptance. The idea is, I, I, you know, I try not to get too far ahead of myself in that situation. Does anybody know how not to? And it's like, nobody I know. No, I think you gotta, you gotta get ahead of yourself and then bring yourself back. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a constant process. process. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of the whole thing we do with living in the present moment, but it's on steroids. It's, it's like the idea of you're living in the present moment. You're not walking around always in the present moment. You're just constantly reminding yourself to come back to the present moment. And, yeah. and I mean, and, and, and that's, and that's the practice. It doesn't mean eventually you'll just wake up and you'll be in the present as a moment without brain damage i don't think that happens you know i so you know the other thing i want to say about you is is in terms of support what you did is you respected you respected everything you need to expect respect as far as you and your family and and your your marriage and um but you still reached out in that group with what you could reach out with yeah. you still you still invited support you know, you certainly had my support, and I know you know that that place that 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 place on Thursday night. That that that's uh, 
there's a lot of love there and in, in, in people and people you're, you're i don't know how i don't know how that works in the universe i don't know how if that love actually flies through the air and comes to us but man if it does you had a lot coming and, and we didn't have to have the content yeah you know it's actually not the important part the content isn't the important part it's the process right. and what's happening and so right. you know, shared about it that was really helpful um but you know i I was really curious to see what I could do with this ultimately. And so, uh, you know, kept playing around with some different stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, eventually I had this, uh, it was a realization, which is that, because it was actually Roger, I, I talked to Roger um, about it one day, and he said, well, welcome to the life of being a parent. Mm -hmm. He said, it is the scariest and most anxiety provoking that I have personally ever been through. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, it sort of unlocked something in my mind. And I realized, oh, this actually doesn't stop. Because if it's not this thing, it's another thing, and it's another thing, and it's it's everything always. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's terrifying. Holy crap. So now I realized the, the magnitude of that is that, you know, it's one thing to be worried about myself or, or even another adult, right? But now mm -hmm. you're in charge or, or you're, you're responsible for a human life that doesn't have the ability to really protect itself and defend itself. And you're, you know, supposed to take care of it and provide for mm -hmm. it, but you can't protect, you can't mm -hmm. protect it from everything. There's mm -hmm. these just, you know, uh, d d there's diseases and conditions and accidents and terrible things that happen, even to little kids, something unthinkable, it happens. Mm -hmm. And so I, when I started thinking about that, I said, wow, if I can't get past this detachment right now, then I will always be detached, right? Mm -hmm. Because even if this thing is removed, something else will just take its place. It's that fear. And it says, so I realized what was happening, what I was facing wasn't actually the, the genetic condition or the possible genetic condition. It was my, um, my anxiety and my fear of loss and yeah. my fear of being hurt and, mm -hmm. and being vulnerable. That's, that's what I was mm -hmm. experiencing. And I was disconnecting because I didn't want to feel any of that stuff well it's it's fear that you won't be i think it comes down to it, it's fear that i will not be able to handle this you fear i won't be okay right yeah. yeah exactly it's this will be too much and i can't do it it's it's uh yeah so you uh did were you conscious of how fully you would be tested you know in in all of your faculties um uh, uh, before this moment um no, I mean, well, again, I've heard people say that stuff. I've heard people say, yeah, being, being a parent is, is so scary, anxiety provoking. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get scared and, and anxious all the time. I, I understand mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have any idea. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you have people, I've had people in my life tell me really good advice and, mm -hmm. and then I go and do, I do the, the opposite of that mm -hmm. anyways. Right. It's like, well, I'm curious. What was 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 there a comfort and a landing uh, when uh, upon this realization that like when you realized this was just one ripple and that there are more to come? And I can see that it could also, in addition to being, you know, very uh, um, anxiety-inducing um, and challenging to hear that, it could also be like, well, this liberates me from the immediate concerns I have about this particular thing because, well, mm -hmm. I know there's more to come, and I gotta steal up. 
Well, it, it, for me, it ended up being liberating, even though that, that that's scary. It's liberating because, you know, what what came with that was another understanding, another realization, which is that we as humans, as, as just existing living beings, we never get to decide how long or to what extent we are involved in each other's lives. Right. It's, that's true, no, of not up to us. true of myself and my parents, myself and my dogs. Mm -hmm. it, it's everything all the time. You mm -hmm. know, I could get struck in the head by a meteor right now or, mm -hmm. you know, or, or something, you know, I could have a stroke or car accident and that could happen to anybody that I know at any time. Mm -hmm. And so we, we don't have any, really, we have a little bit of influence. We can be safe. We can, we can try to manage risk as much as we can, but you, you can't avoid it. And so you know, what does that leave us with is the fact that we don't get to decide the terms that all of this stuff happens on. We do get to decide how we show up in our lives. It's all it's all we get to decide. It's, it's really and, it, it, and it's essential. There is a little bit of influence. You can Influ influence you is not the same as stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. You influence by by changing yourself. You, you influence by how you interact, how you do the stuff. That's how we, you know, that's what we say in the program. Uh, it's a program of attraction, not promotion. Yeah. It's like, you know, people, you know, so so we do influence, but we do. I believe the, the most powerful influence we have is being better people ourselves. The idea is, I mean, to me, the Stoics have the shortest version of the serenity prayer. And it's it's basically you don't control anything except for your own thoughts. You don't even control your own body. Like you said, you can get sick. You can do it says you do not control anything except for your thoughts. And so and, and it's and it's and basically the uh, it's good news. It means you got when we're talking about that gatekeeper, it's like like you get to decide how you're going to interact with the world and you get to decide which of these thoughts you're you're going to practice tuning into. And, and it's yeah. and it's a practice. I, mean, I would almost even take it further. I don't even think we have control over our own thoughts. Right. Because you'll think thoughts you don't want to think. No, no, you're, you'll, no, you, you'll, you, you I, I, I would say what you do only how you show up. Right. I mean, right. I don't know. That's how and, I understand. Yeah, and, and 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 the mental process to me is you get you you have control over you have you have to, you have decision you make decisions over what you do with your thoughts. Yeah. You're right because the the thoughts are. I mean, I, I put in the the simple truth book. It was just a little picture of of thoughts wandering around. Their thoughts are just visitors. They just come. They come and go, and you get to decide what you know which ones you invite to stay for dinner. And and historically, what we do is, of course, we've always invited the the meanest, nastiest ones to have dinner with us yeah. you know you're a piece of shit well sit down i'll get you some turkey you sound like a good dinner partner hey brian, <laughs> hey brian i i had a question about um uh -huh. uh, how did your wife deal with this it's you you mentioned that she started reading immediately and kind of like getting into the thick of like well how do we how do we deal with this practically did, well, were you able to just, she went into crisis you okay. know uh mm -hmm. she, she has a hard time uh just she really struggles with a lot of depression a lot of anxiety um and she went into uh, you know she's crying and and falling apart and mm -hmm. was, is just like you know decompensating right in front of me uh this was my experience mm -hmm. of her I, I think she'd probably agree um what's decompensating just like just like falling apart you know mm -hmm. Um, you have all these tools and resources that you can use to be the best that you can be. And, and when, uh, when the bullets start flying, <laughs> they all go, they all fall to the wayside and we're back to animal style, you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. how I would describe it. Um, 
but yeah, she, she, she had a hard time and you know, that, that kind of played into my stuff too. Cause now I'm like, well, I'm freaking out over here. Now you're freaking out. So I, the way I'm going to stop freaking out is by getting you to stop freaking out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which yeah. only made it worse. That was, that was not a good approach. Well, uh, that's, and, and that it's just in terms of just marriage in general or long-term relationship. It's like most of us, most of us can tell stories about the idea that there seems to be some kind of balance where, you know, usually what, only one of us at a time goes crazy. You know, and and it's and it's like, but something like this, something this this big, it does like set crazy. up that. Yeah, it's it's like, and there's and there's and again, that's a completely see. That's the thing to go crazy in that situation is a completely sane response. Yeah. It's like the idea. That's where we, we, you know, the should monster walks walks up to the door, and we just kick him in the nuts and say, "Fuck you, get out of here," because we're you know we're practicing acceptance on this because there's no other there's no other way to be a human being. In the in the world we've grown up in, to not completely freak out yeah. with this stuff. Now it's how I'm going to respond to that. I'm work I'm working on it, and you were working on it the whole time. Yeah, and and so my initial response when she starts freaking out is is you know I got to feel better by getting her to calm down. That made her freak out more, mm-hmm. um, which made me freak out more. Mm-hmm. And so again, I got I got brought back mm-hmm. to the same same emotional sobriety principle, which is she's listening to me. So she texted that I can talk about her depression and stuff. <laughs> um, which uh, you know, but another part of this is actually when when we were starting to try to get pregnant, she was on antidepressants and she. Um, got off of them mm-hmm. so that was another thing too is that she was off yeah yeah so that really played into it too and so she um really was magnified and so uh, i just added that in because she texted me it um but yeah well she's yeah her brain i being somebody who takes medication for depression oh good well my brain is perfectly equipped to deal with this now because i haven't had antidepressants for quite a while scariest thing to ever happen to me when i'm most vulnerable yeah how wonderful is that yeah 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 yeah. Um, but what it came back to is like, it, and I really was really conscious and trying to integrate these emotional sobriety principles into this situation. And what that meant is she, she's having a hard time. She's depressed and anxious and, and, you know, about struggling as much as, as she really ever has. Um, and I can't make that stop for her. And the only mm-hmm. thing that I had left is, is how, how, how am I going to handle this? What kind of presence do I want to bring to the relationship and into the situation? And, you know, for me, I say, I want to, I want to try to be a balancing and regulating force as much as possible without, without disowning my own struggles, right. To be able to bring both of those, but ultimately again, it's the navigation point, starting point to end point. I Mm -hmm. want to get to a place of regulation so that I can bring the best of me to the situation. And so, you know, that's what I I started focusing on is instead of, you know, she's going to have a hard time and she's really struggling with this. And there's no, there's no, there's no way to candy coat that you're not going to make it better because it's just terrifying. There's no no silver lining. Before we get to the place of full acceptance, we're negotiating, we're bargaining that, that kind of stuff, like in in the stages of grief. One of the mistakes that we make in in emotional sobriety or any kind of recovery stuff is when, when, when the shit hits the fan, when the anxiety comes, we, we, we begin to try to control somebody else's emotional sobriety. Now, I don't know about women. Women can tell us that I know as men, we have a long history of saying, you know, of, of trying to rescue our wives so that we can be okay. You know, it's, 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 it's a if, perfect if, example if of having your, your emotional center of gravity outside of yourself. It's a, it's a perfect absolutely. example of what not to do. 
<laughs> oh, I have. I, no. I have a non a non helpful response is let me try to regulate myself by controlling something I can't control. <laughs> and don't and don't understand. I mean, my my wife is recovering from her this surgery that I've told you all about. It's it's like you know from from uh, uh, some back surgery, and it's like yeah, I I'm just aware of those all those control parts of me that I have been in recovery from for so long and they not that they haven't slipped through but it's like you know just so many suggestions and so many recommendations I have for something I've never experienced you know I have no I have I have no expertise it, it, you know she she has the expertise the closest thing to an expert on on going through this is 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 uh, Didi and so you know one of the things I'm doing I think a decent job of just keeping that gatekeeper busy yeah you know nope 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 go get her go get her another glass of water you know yeah well when you start trying to figure out how to show up for somebody else by by using your own projections to do that it just makes it about you right it's not well it's it's it, and you don't have it, yeah you're not you don't have to be you don't have to see yourself as a villain i think i think it's important that we not villainize other people but one of the things that 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 uh that, you know that aren't that are villains we could we could have another podcast on the people who are villains but but uh um but the idea is is it's also important that we don't villainize ourselves either. The idea that this that's what that's part of what this whole practice of this wide open acceptance is, is the idea is we're that's you know, we really are. It's very Buddhist in nature, as far as I can tell from what I what I know about that, is the idea we're very much the, the uh there's I guess there's a bit of a dis detachment here, but it's but it's just it's just a, a, to kind of have a neutral place to be an observer and, and reporter of what's happening to me. You know, and but it's not to say I I can't go in there and I can you know and I can experience the the pain the fear. Um, I mean that's what Roger was telling you. It's like, you know, and I've 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 worked. I've, I'm not a parent, and and I, I swear to you, the reason one of the reasons I always said that when we decided not to have kids was I, I said, I, I, you know, I, I, we looked at our gen our genetics and I realized we were just going to have a depressed alcoholic uh, anyway. So, but but the other part was was I you know I said. I, I would my child would grow up chained up in the in the basement because I would be so afraid of of giving that child any autonomy because I'd be, I I don't think I could handle the, the 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 fear of that and 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 I mean man for you to for you to get that experience right off the bat yeah that's powerful it is and you know it it brought me and I'm sure I'm going to struggle this with the same thing over and over and over again for the rest of my life but I think at, I at least have a framework a functioning framework of how to operate and how to deal with it which is that look I I don't know I I can't chain someone up in my basement um even though part of me might want to sometimes uh -huh. what uh -huh. I'm left with ultimately is that uh to, you know, to scary, terrible things might happen to everybody I love all the time. And so what I have control over what I can what I can decide in terms of how to show up is, is that I can love these people in my life as much mm -hmm. as I possibly can for as long as I can. And, for as long as I can. It's, there's it, nothing that yeah, can, it's, it's, there is not a single thing that can take that away from me. I've always had a suspicion that maybe what the therapists say is correct, that I have the inner resources uh, available to help me weather any storm. And I keep kind of like 
I'm highly skeptical of that. And I, and I, and it comes up a lot in talking with Alan and it's come up in talking to other smart people. Um, and I think that's a little bit, uh, you're referring to that a little bit, right, Brian, which is that like when, by locating the emotional center of gravity inside yourself, it's going to help you to really like jump across the chasm, but it's also the process of getting there is like some of the hardest shit you've ever had to do. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and you can't, and you can't do, you can't know it until you're there. I, um, Christopher Reeve, um, his first, the first book, and this is to tell you about who this guy is. The first book he wrote after his accident, in which he was uh, completely uh, paralyzed, was, is called "Still Me." Uh, and and I recommend this book, by the way, to lots of people. And I recommend you get it on 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 audio in audio form because Christopher Reeve reads it. It's like even with that, even with his difficulty with breath, everything else, he he, he tells you this story. And, he, and, and and sometimes when celebrities write books, you can tell that they didn't write the book. Somebody wrote the book for him. Christopher Reeve wrote this book. He and Michael J. Fox are, are in the same category with this stuff. They write their own stuff. And but one of the things he he talks about in that book early on is he said after his accident in which he was you know he's a quadriplegic uh having to have help even breathing uh he he said he said i there's no people would say i could never do what you're doing i could not survive this he said he said i he said i i no way i th i would ever have thought i could do this he said, and, and he's just, I mean, I can't, it can't be, as, I can't remember what he said specifically, but it's beautiful and what, worth listening to. It's, it's like the idea that, that you only know, and, and when it comes from somebody like that, with that situation, they say they, you only know when you're there, you know, and that's, that's the same, but it's the same dynamic you're talking about. Well, I, I noticed that happening with my, I'm a type one diabetic. It's another sort of really awful mm -hmm. genetic condition that just happens and, mm -hmm. Now there's no cure and, you, and I just deal with it. But mm -hmm. then, you know, I've had mm -hmm. this experience my whole life. I'll give myself injections in front of people. And, you know, a lot of people are scared of needles. And so I've had I, more mm -hmm. times than I can count. I've had somebody say, man, I could never do that. I could never mm -hmm. get myself. I'll tell you, I, I have a very vivid memory of when I first came home from the hospital after I was diagnosed, I was 15 and I was trying to give myself injections and I would take the needle and I would go to stab my leg. And I'm not mm -hmm. kidding. I've never felt anything like this. My arm would stop before the needle would hit my leg. And I'd, and I'd go like this. Huh? And I'd, I'd push my arm down and it would stop. And I said, what the hell? It's like someone else yeah. was holding my arm. And yeah. I've never yeah. felt anything else like that. And the only way I could get past this, I figured this out just on accident. I had to close my eyes so that I couldn't see when the needle was going to hit my skin. And so when I closed my eyes, it went in and I had to do that for a couple of weeks until I got used to the sensation and the experience enough where I could do it with my eyes open. And it wasn't because I was afraid of it. I mean, at least on a conscious level, clearly <laughs> there was a part of me that was very afraid of it. Uh, but, you know, I've had people say that I, I could never do something like that. And see, I think that, you know, if, if there is a silver lining in terrible experiences like getting diagnosed with a terrible illness or having something like what happened with our our baby, if there is a silver lining, it's I think that they show you how vulnerable your attitude towards reality is because it's so yes. contingent on things being the way that you think that they need to be in order for you to be okay mm -hmm. and see when you're right. i think when you're confronted with something of this gravity gravity and magnitude 
and you make the decision to not like end your life basically he's like i'm going to keep moving mm-hmm. forward what you're left with is what does this mean to me and and so ultimately you figure out i have figured out and, and i'm sure there's a lot of different ways i haven't figured out I've, I've, I've got a couple that i have is that i can still be okay with terrible stuff happening i just have to let mm-hmm. go of my ideas of how how life is supposed to look you know i don't want to think about everything that I eat all the time. And I don't want to have to go to sleep with the thought that I could die in my sleep tonight, which is a very mm-hmm. real thing. It, it happened to me last night. Mm-hmm. I had a bunch of situations where, you know, I can't sleep. I can't walk. I can't eat without thinking about, you know, how much insulin of it. So I don't want things to be that way. And, you know, for a person on the outside, you look at that. I couldn't handle that. Well, I think you can. Right. <laughs> I think you can, uh, but but you have to let go of some stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and letting go is a, is a is a ongoing practice. I mean, it's like you know. I mean, to me, I always say you know, whenever we let go of something, we let go of it, and then we look down and we're holding on to it again. And so, what do you do? We let go of it again. It's like you know, instead of cussing ourselves and saying, "I thought I let go of that," well, you did. You know, but it, it, you know, it's like what you said about, you know, even just the process of two weeks with your eyes closed to get past that, that obstacle. But I mean, cause you, if you think about that, it's a beautiful example of just how defenses work. We use that as a metaphor for defense, literal, but it's also a metaphor for defenses. It's like stabbing yourself with anything is very counterintuitive. We can all agree with that. It's like, that's, that's not something that our mind is, is, is going to be on board with. And so the idea, and I, you know, and, and, and you're just, you're just describing something that goes on inside of us all the time, uh, which, which is the way I describe it is my wisdom voice can tell me exactly what I need to do to get over something, something just an everyday thing. Like for me, a lot of times it's procrastination and, and my wisdom voice can say, do this. And if you do it this way, this will be fine. And, 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 and it's absolutely right. And the moment I hear that, I can feel my resistance dig in because I'm now, now I'm having a power struggle inside myself. My, you know, and, my, and the good news is my my, resist, my wisdom voice is just like a wise person on the outside. He does he doesn't really care. It's like I mean he cares about me, but he's like you don't have to do it. But it's like I'm just telling you, you got to do it. And and all, and, all of, and so, but what you did is a literal. It's it's like that when you, before you even said it was like somebody was holding your arm. I just imagine you know that somebody just was grabbing your arm and just just trying to save you from getting stabbed. Well, the funny, I mean, the, to, to complete the metaphor, it's someone who's trying to save me from getting stabbed, but the thing that I'm getting stabbed by is necessary to live. <laughs> That's right. Like, That's it. That's perfect. Inside of the thing that is attacking you, which is, I mean, I, I couldn't yeah. think of better metaphor but that's i mean that even fits yeah. kind of what you were talking about patrick is that that that's kind of like the what these experiences are is there are these things that are seem extraordinarily threatening and dangerous and and you know you 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 don't think you can handle them and they're scary and you don't want them to happen there's medicine in them yeah, yeah. does um Beautiful. what came up for me when you first started telling me about your situation was um Alan's situation with uh, Cece, I believe, um, where he was I think with- it, I talked to him. I think it's actually the exact same condition came up. We were I was talking to him and he said, I swear, I, I don't I don't have the records, but I think it's the exact. So I talked to him. I didn't come up with a lot mm-hmm. of these ideas of how I responded to it. It was actually I heard mm-hmm. that talk that he gave at American Martyrs. I don't know if was that four or five mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. There that night. Mm-hmm. And he told that story. That's what got me through this. I didn't come up with this stuff either. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, I just had to say that because it was so 
taught, I've heard him talk at one meeting ever. That was the one I listened to. And then this happened. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. That was incredible. What an incredible, I'm sorry to interrupt, but geez, that, how wild. Mm -hmm. No, that's not an interruption. I, I was just, um, you, you've learned a long time ago how to reach out to the people that could speak to, you know, the issues that you're having. And, um, so how does it, so how is it hitting you today? Is that emotional center of gravity inside the walls? Uh, Sometimes, <laughs> uh, sometimes I think, you know, it's such a, it's another, another kind of like foundational principle of this emotional sobriety stuff is, is that when you get, when I get upset or when I get scared or when I get disturbed is another way of putting it. That's kind of a little bit more general is it's an indication that it's outside of me. Right. And so it's just kind mm -hmm. of catching those as often as I can and then figuring out how the hell do I get this back inside of me? And, mm -hmm. and a lot of the time I just need some help. Uh, sometimes I can do it on my own. Well, I heard, I, I, I heard somebody use the metaphor of a tight wire walker, you know, in terms of balance through this process. And it's like, in, in, the, in the point that she made when she was talking about it was just, she said, if you watch the tight wire walker, you, you know, we think of that as walking right straight across on the wire. It says very, very little time is spent in middle. <laughs> So she's you know, constantly metaphor, going back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. You know? The metaphor that always yeah. comes to me or the image is a pottery wheel with emotional sobriety. You know what I mean? You're not necessarily on the tightrope over, uh, you know, uh, uh -huh. an infinite drop. It's you're um, massaging this thing. And uh, if you if you air too much, of course, the uh, the pot, the, the clay is going to collapse onto itself. But then, you know, you just get your hands on it and you start molding again and. I anyway, that's just I, Alan, that's good. I, I like that. A lot of the wisdom that I have in my head is literally straight from Alan's mouth, um, just because he's, you know, he's just the guy that I've talked to the most about this stuff. And but I think he, he shared it one night in the uh, emotional sobriety meeting a couple months or a year or so ago. So it's kind of like mountain climbing. It's like, you know, you're you're at the the base of a mountain, right? And then or you're not right. But there's a, a mountain emerges. You're at the base of it. And you traverse, you go to the top and you summit it, and then you come back down. <laughs> and then and then it just you just keep doing that over and over again. You're not at the top of the mountain all the time, and you're not at the bottom uh, at, at all the time. There's different mountains, they take different amounts of time to traverse. And when they emerge in front of you, you you go and you, you go up and then you come down, and then you know you do it over and over again. Well, um, you know, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Brian. And uh I hope you got something out of it. Like I our numbers uh which I was, uh, I'll confess to being a little astounded to see when I checked the analytics. Our numbers have been going up. Um, more people are listening every week. But I, with that comes the pressure of, you know, I, I want to make sure, I really care about the show and I want to make sure that, you know, the people that are listening and that listen every week are just getting more and new things out of it. And I knew that if, you know, I could get you to come on, uh, that uh, you'd be adding a lot of, of, you know, value and insight. And uh, I uh, I know I got a lot out of uh, today's show. And uh so I just hope that it wasn't a total wash for you, Brian. No, it, 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 you know, uh, my brother, he's a really interesting guy. He is a, he's a software engineer. And so he does a lot of work with like machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence stuff. I've been hanging out with him a lot. Mm -hmm. And he's just been talking about how similar, how, how much of an analog machine thinking is, that, at least in the way we were designing it, as people. And so, you know, we have, we're having all these conversations. And, and, and one of these things I thought was so cool is, um, there's actually a professor. I, I wish I wish my brother was here. He would tell me what the guy's name was, but he was famous for coming up, sort of uh, coining the principle that one of the best ways to learn something is to try to teach it.
And so I, Mm -hmm. you know, getting invited here, I've got all these ideas in my head and things that I've absorbed over time, but they're sort of, uh, they're not in, in sequence. They're not in, in layers in appropriate layers that kind of, I can put together, but when I come here and I, and we're going to talk about something, I have to think about it and, and, you know, what am I going to say and how do I explain it? And, and, and in doing that, it organizes it for me in, in, you know, in a way that's really helpful. So, I mean, that's, I like spending time with you guys any any chance I have, but one of the best things is, is, you know, trying to talk about and explain something forces me to understand it more. And it's just, you know, and then I hear new things and then yeah. I weave that yeah. in too. And so that, prin- that principle of we, we teach best what we most need to learn. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Can I ask it's such a quick- challenge and it's so important. Oh, sorry to cut you off, Tom. I, I just wanted to ask uh, how Didi's doing today. Uh, feel, feeling bad, hurting, oh, yeah. sore. No. I'm sorry to hear. She's. It, it reminds me of what what we used to say in one of my my eating disorder groups a long time ago. I'd ask. I would ask somebody. Uh, I remember when we first came up with it. I asked a young woman in the group. I said, "How are you doing?" And she said, "Are you asking me how I'm doing or how I'm feeling?" And and it was like immediately the whole group we got this insight, and I've used it ever since. It's like like because she she went on to say because I'm doing really well. You know, meaning talking about what she was doing with her recovery and what she's supposed to be doing. She says, I feel like total shit, you know, which we all, all three of us know that there are not, it doesn't say that way, but there are many times through this process where the, because you're doing well, you're feeling so much stuff and it's so hard. And what you're talking about, Brian, with this today is the, the, and back to just to wrap up with another piece of what emotional sobriety is. Emotional sobriety is being that wide open with, with what's really going on with you at that level of self-honesty. It's so it's such, it's, it's the key. Yeah. Well, as open as you can be at any given point in time and don't expect more of yourself in that time. Don't ever judge an earlier version of yourself by what we know and can do today because we're getting better all the time. We'll see you all next week. Change your life. Change your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then we glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Till it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on me Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me